0: People are saying, how can we know when it's God's will and when it's not God's will? How can we know when we should go forward and when we shouldn't go forward? How can we know when we should stop and wait? I want to just talk about some guidelines for decision making. Quickly just give you some guidelines for making decisions, everyday decisions. See, some people think there are secular decisions and spiritual decisions, but i got news for you. Every decision is a spiritual decision because it reflects your attitude toward your relationship toward God. Every decision you and I make will have to take into consideration how does this affect my relationship to Jesus Christ. I heard a man say today, and, and I thought that's strange, That's the same thing I told the Lord after I became a Christian. I said, Lord, I hope you'll never have to deal with rebellion in me, but you'll probably have to deal a lot with ignorance in me but if you'll please just let me know what you want me to do and make it clear to me I'll do anything you want me to do I'll say anything you want me to say if you'll just make it clear that it's you telling me to do it but that's where one of the problems comes in a lot of times people don't know how do we determine God's will for our lives when we're making decisions so let me just share some with you some guidelines for decision making first of all the first question is whatever the decision is Will it glorify God? You see, you and I are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God in our bodies and in our minds, which are Christ's. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and verse 31 says, Whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, eating is not necessarily spiritual. Drinking is not necessarily Spiritual. But there's an element there that's trying to tell you that there is no such thing as a secular decision. They're all spiritual decisions because we have to ask ourselves, if I do this, is there any way that I can see that it will glorify God? Now, I've had people say to me, well, I just feel like I should go and do this, and I'm going to go, do this. go and do this. I say, well, have you prayed about it? Well, no, not really. Well, are you sure it's the will of God? Well, how can you know? I mean, this has nothing to do with church as such. I said, no, but if you belong to Jesus Christ, everything you do is to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. Some people have even said to me, when I've worked with young people from time to time and and I've corrected them in their eating habits. I shouldn't have to because their parents should do that. But they said, what difference does it make? I said, well, because it's a testimony. When people look at you and if you're chewing with your mouth wide open and shoveling it in before you even swallow it and gulping your food down and so forth. I said, they realize that you have never been taught how to eat properly in public. You say, well, that's nothing spiritual. No, but it has an impact and an influence concerning your testimony with other people. That's not a spiritual thing. But still, it reflects Jesus Christ in your life. The second thing is, can I do it in the name of Jesus and offer a prayer of thanks over it? Whatever I'm going to do, can I stop in the middle of it and pray and ask God's blessing on it and give thanks for it? Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and the 20th verse. I can go back to verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks, what? Always for what? All things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're praying, you're giving thanks. I mean, you're praying. And whatever it might be, can you do it in the name of Jesus Christ and offer thanks to the Father for it? Father, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity to do this thing that I'm about ready to do. I spoke to a family this past week and they couldn't understand why they're having trouble. If you can imagine... Someone called me in the morning, and I was on the phone and could not get off the phone for almost four hours with a husband and wife on the phone, just like this the whole time. And after a while, I said, may I just ask you a question? She said, yes. I said, are you addicted to soap operas? Well, uh, I, I watch them, some. He said, some, six hours a day, she sits and stares at that TV said, I said, I can tell it because it's influenced the very way you think. Everything you say just reeks of soap operas. The triangular idea, the idea of the rights of the women, and all these things. I said, you've picked all that garbage up, not out of the word of God, but out of soap operas. And I said to him, I said, have you been going to movies? She says, he. yes, we go to movies. We go all these different movies. I said, you're feeding yourself on garbage too. And the end result is the two of you are coming together with all that garbage in you, and you're clashing, and you haven't found out what is God's will for your life after four hours I hung up and later on that day they called again and I was on the phone for almost two and a half or three hours more with that same couple no resolution because oh this is what I said to her I said I want you to take the verse that says whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely of good report with virtue and praise I want you to make it in nice big print and put it right up over your television screen and the next time you turn on a soap opera I want you to read that verse out loud while you listen to what's coming out through that television too How many of you know you can't do it five minutes, but you'll have to turn it off? How many of you know that you can't go to a movie today? The G-rated movies today were the ones that we wouldn't look at when I was a kid as a Christian. I wouldn't even go to them. The cursing, the smoking, and the swearing, and the drinking, and everything else that's in some of these that are PG. PG, right. PG, I'm sorry. You can tell how much I pay attention to them. They're supposed to be the mild ones. But I just say, parents, if you're gonna send them, I want you before they go, I want you to, in the name of Jesus, offer a prayer of thanks to your Father, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of being able to go and absorb and soak up that slot. okay? Before you go, kids, I want us just to pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to let my kids go out and see this movie because there's something there that they'll probably be able to bring home and glorify you with. You say, now you're getting awfully legalistic. No, I'm just telling you, if you wanna see if something's God's will, does it meet this criteria can you do it in the name of Jesus and offer prayer of thanks over when you're through I want to tell you something way back when I was a teenager I went to a movie after I was a Christian and the things that I heard then I'm talking back back in 1950 51 I walked out and the spirit of God just spoke to my heart and I said Lord I feel so empty inside I shouldn't have listened to that and I stood on the sidewalk out there and said Lord I don't need that anymore the rest of, rest of my life I don't need that anymore those that are around our house know that I'll go to my chair and sit down on Friday and pick up the television guide to see if there's something on that's really of interest and it'll still be set on Monday I don't find that much anymore to even look at on television, I'm too busy first of all but secondly you have to be so picky and choosy to find out what something is good because I can't do it in the name of Jesus and offer a prayer of thanks over it now if you want to begin to clean up your home and clean up your act use these guidelines, thirdly will it focus my attention on things or will it help me to spend more time with the Lord Jesus Christ? Mark 4.19. Whatever I'm getting ready to do, will it focus my attention on things? I've seen families that were regular churchgoers goers buy a big boat. And then I've seen, well, the only time we can use it is on Sunday because we work all week. And so out they go on Sunday, and after a while they miss out on one service, and for long another service, and for long another service, for long they don't go to church anymore. I've seen people, and I'm just talking about a boat in particular, but there are many things that will keep us involved with things. Mark four nineteen, Jesus was talking about the sower that went forth to sow seeds, and some of it fell amongst the thorns. He says, And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. We become barren. We become fruitless from it. Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 41 and 42. Speaking about Mary and Martha. And Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, why don't you get Mary to get up and help me? I'm very busy and encumbered with all these cares of the household. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is what? One thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now I've known of wives that have tried to use that verse as an excuse for not doing housework, but that is not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was simply saying here that there's a time when we need to spend more time on the Lord, and he'll make up that time just when we go back to do the things that we're supposed to be doing. We need to spend time with the Lord. And the decisions that you and I make, we have to say, will this focus my attention more on things or will it allow me to be more committed in my relationship to Jesus Christ? Will it help build up my Christian life or tear it down? 1 Corinthians 10. How many of you know that there's nothing in this life that's worthwhile enough to allow it to tear down our Christian walk? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. What does he mean by that? Okay, he says, all things, I can do anything, but it may not be the best for me to do it. I had a guy say to me, what are you trying to tell me, preacher? If you drink a can of beer, you're going to go to hell? I said, no, not saying that at all. But I know that there are a lot of people that can't just take one can of beer. It may be right for me. It may be okay for me to do it. I don't do it. And I won't do it. But I said, it's not expedient for me to do it. There are better things that I can do in life rather than that. He goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Can I go here? Can I go there? Can I do this? Can I do that? Yes, I can, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for me. I may come away and having, what did he say about the, the meat that the children of Israel wanted the, out in the Old Testament in the wilderness? He said he sent them the desires of their heart, but sent leanness to their souls. And many times there are Christians who say, well, I can be a Christian and still do that, and it brings leanness to their soul because it doesn't edify them. It's not It's not something that they should be doing. So we have to ask that question, will it help build up my Christian life or will it tear it down? If it'll tear it down, I have no time for it. It's not for me. Here's the sensitivity area. Will it offend another? First Corinthians, the eighth chapter. Uh, I won't get into this right now deeply because I've done it before and I've talked about it before. You and I cannot do what we wanna do because we feel it's right and because it helps us or makes us feel good. We have to consider the weaker brother. We have to consider what it will do to someone else. And the best example I've given time and time again it was of a parents, some parents that I talked to years ago, and they felt there was nothing wrong with social drink, and I said, it may not hurt you, but it will hurt someone along the line who's weaker than you, and they laughed at me. Only about six months later to find out their son was lying face down in a mud puddle, drunk from going to a keg party. He couldn't handle it. He had learned to drink at home, But when he went out, he couldn't handle it. And he became an alcoholic. And had to have treatment to even get away from that thing. That's why they said, well, it's okay for me to do it. But I said, but you're going to be influencing others. I might be able to go and have a, a glass of wine or a glass of beer. But that doesn't mean I can do it for fear of what it might do in another. If it tears another down or offends another, I must not do it. 1 Corinthians 8, starting with the 11th verse. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? Let's go back to the the verse before that. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, when you what? What did Paul call that? What did he call it there? When you sin like that against your brother, oh, you think there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, but it offends your brother. He says, you're sinning against that brother. And wound their weak conscience, you sin against whom? Christ. Not just the brother, but you're sinning against Christ himself. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, Paul wasn't saying, I'm not going to eat any meat, but he said if eating that particular type of meat Meat that had been offered to idols. If eating that, there's nothing wrong with the meat. He said, there's no other gods. Those idols are not gods. But he said, if just doing it causes a brother to stumble, I would go without meat the rest of my life. And then the last one. If there's still doubt after all of these prerequisites, if you still have doubts, don't do it. Don't do it. I was listening to some of Larry Burkett's teaching today, and, and he was talking about people that got into get-rich-quick schemes. And he said he had some men who were very, very, very successful in business. Had more knowledge of business than he did that were sitting there in a meeting talking to him about some get-rich-quick schemes. And he said as they were talking about all these things, he said one biblical principle after another came up in my mind that they were violating. But he said, I've found a quicker way in all the years that I've counseled, rather than come against them with biblical principles, I just turned to their wife and said, what do you feel about this down in your heart? Now, the wives weren't involved in the business world at all. They were just their wives, just their wives. They said, well, I don't know why. I don't understand all there is, but I just don't feel right about it. And I like what Larry said. He says, you know, sometimes we get so excited about wanting to do what we want to do that God says, well, I have to bypass you. I'll go to the other part of you and say, will you please stop that dummy before he gets in trouble? Our wives, through intuition by the Spirit of God, speaking to their heart, giving them an uneasiness in their heart, many times can see more than the finest businessman on earth. I have a business friend of mine who years ago, I warned him not to make a decision he made. I didn't know until just last year that at the same time his wife said, no, don't do that. But what does she know about it after all? And after all, I've had years of business experience in a human. I know more about this than what she does. And she said, honey, please don't do this. He went down and did it, and I want to tell you, he lost everything, all of his businesses. He had six business places, lost it all, had to put four mortgages on his house, had to sell his motorhome, his boats, all these things, just to keep his head above water. His wife doubted and says, don't do that. He wouldn't listen. I want to tell you something. If you're married, and your wife is a godly woman and prays about things, and you think that full steam ahead, and she says, don't, I want you to write down in the back of your Bible, every time I do that, I can expect to fail. Why? Because God, first of all, is going to cut off your prayers. You aren't respecting your wife. And it's just doomed to fail. You say, well, she's always negative. That means she doesn't trust you. This couple I was talking to the other day. I said, why are you feeling this way toward your husband? He has been very successful in business. Yes, but it's such and 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 such. And she went right down the line, very historical, all the times he had done things to hurt her to where she didn't trust him anymore. I said, don't blame her for being negative. You have brought her to the place where she doesn't know what to expect from you. Why don't you become transparent with her and let her know you love her and you really have her interest at heart? And promise her you won't make a move until she is fully, acknowledges that it's right and the, and the right thing to do. But it's like somebody said, there's some people that have violated so many biblical principles, you think the easiest thing to do, just shoot them both and let God sort them out when they get to heaven. But after you've gone through all these other five, when you come down here, if there's still doubt, don't do it. Romans chapter 14, and verse 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you can't go into something and say, this I really believe is the will of God. I really believe that I've prayed about this and I have a good feeling about this and I I can step out into it, then don't do it. If you have that good feeling when you've prayed about it and you really feel this is the will of God, then sit back and relax. Because in God's time, it'll work out the way it's supposed to work out. Or, God's got a lesson he wants to teach you in the midst of it. You see, we can't lose no matter what. It'll either work out and everything will be rosy and glorious or else we'll go and experience that later on when we come out of it we'll be able to help others because steps of righteous men are ordered of the Lord and if you don't have any doubts in the matter based upon biblical principles no doubts in the matter based upon the fact that you've covered these other five things if there's no doubt full steam ahead but if there's doubt stop it's not worth it any questions about these guidelines for making decisions do you think you can stay out of a lot of trouble if you just follow these Anything you could add to these? What's the definition of laziness? Definition of laziness accepting anything but excellence in anything you do. How many of you know if you win a soul to Jesus Christ 2,000 years from now, you will have no idea how many thousands and thousands and thousands of souls can be saved if you save a baby's life? Mm -hmm. Yes, and then pray for those babies that have been saved, that the Lord will save them and use them for His glory. There have been babies that were not wanted when they were born and adopted out that later on accepted Jesus Christ and have had mighty ministries. There have been people, young people, that have been thrown off by society completely. And I think of one black man who raped and killed a white nurse up in Pennsylvania, and he was put in prison for it. His name was Sammy and they gave him the death sentence. And While he was in prison, I mean everybody was so angry at him because she was one of the most popular school teachers in the area. She had won awards and everything else. And it was just a violent death. While he was in prison, this Christian went and called on him and said, I've got a message for you from the Lord. He said, I don't believe in the Lord. The Christian said, may I just sit down and talk with you for a few moments? and began to tell him that God loved him and had sent Jesus Christ to die for his sins he said don't lie to me he said Sammy I'm not lying I have no reason in the world to come here to this death row to tell you this except God told me to come and tell you that he loves you and that you can be forgiven your sin that man fell on his knees and began to weep and say please don't say that unless you mean it because nobody has ever loved me he said when I was small my father was an alcoholic he got in a fight and he was killed he said, my mother left me and I had nowhere to go and I have lived off the streets ever since I was a little child. And he said, I had to grow up learning how to defend myself. And he said, no one has ever loved me. Don't tell me that if you don't mean it. And so he read scriptures to Sammy and Sammy wept his way to the Lord on death row. And he said, do you have something I can read? He said, you can have my New Testament. And he said, Every moment there was light. Sammy would sit there and read the New Testament over and over again. Pretty soon he got up and he said hey, anybody else out there that can hear me? He said, listen to this verse I just read. And he read it out loud. And he said, here's another one you need to know. God loves us. God can forgive us. And he started witnessing and testifying there on death row by yelling out through the door so all the rest could hear him. And some of them used to start yelling and telling them to shut up. But after a while the others would say, you shut up. We want to hear this. When the head of the prison heard this, he Ask Sammy if he would be willing to give his testimony in the chapel that next Sunday. And when the word got around that this vicious killer was going to give his testimony in chapel, they had to hold it out in the courtyard of the prison. And they had several thousand men there. And this man got up and told his life story and how Jesus Christ had come into his heart and transformed his life and he said I love Jesus with all my heart and out of that literally hundreds of men came down the aisle and knelt at the altar and asked Jesus Christ into their lives this black man and then the prison officials and everybody went to the governor try to get his sentence appealed but governor said no it was an election year and there wasn't about he wasn't about to make a change right then especially with the violence that this man had performed so he was to be electrocuted and when he was led into the electric chair and sat in the seat and they put the cap on him they asked him if he had anything to say he said no sir I don't have anything to say but I'd like to just sing a little song and he sang that song I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely he did something that no other friend could do No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. With that, they dropped the mask and the switch was thrown. The chaplain said, wasn't that marvelous, do they, warden? Warden said, marvelous. He said, it may have been marvelous, but it was too late. Why didn't someone tell Sammy about Jesus Christ when he was a little boy running around on the streets? Why didn't some church member see him and take him to Sunday school? Why didn't they reach out then so he could have given his whole life to Jesus Christ and not have a waste like this? I wonder 2,000 years from now how many people are going to be saved through Sammy's efforts there in the prison. God wants us to be witnesses for him and living by this lifestyle Others will be able to see Jesus Christ in us and hunger for what we have. Now, Father, I just ask that you administer this truth to our hearts that we won't have to guess and try to figure out what we're supposed to do from day to day, but we'll have a guideline by which to operate. And I pray, Father, that you'll draw us closer to you, that you'll make us fruitful and productive. Lord Jesus, you said that if we'd follow you, you'd make us to be fishers of men. I pray, Father, that you'll cause us to be bait that will be enticing to the fish that we're to catch. I pray that we'll be the right kind of lure that will draw them to you. I pray, Father, that our very lifestyle will be so enticing that they'll be drawn out of the dark places to be caught by the Spirit of God. I pray that it won't be too late for more Sammies that Rather than that, we will be able to reach out and win the loss to Jesus Christ. We commit this time to you and your blessings in our lives. We give you thanks for, Father. And ask that you would make this to be a very fruitful week. A week that where we walk knowledgeably before you. And seek your face and your will every single hour in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.